Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host of the podcast, and I'm here with Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron, good to see you again. Hey, Brandon. Always a joy to be with you. You were just with all of your fellow priests in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles for one of your regular presbyteral days where they gather for camaraderie, usually for some sort of retreat or set of talks. And this time you were one of the main speakers there. What'd you talk about? What was the gathering like? It's a good gathering. We have two a year in LA. Uh, one is Chrism Day, which is around, you know, right before Easter. And then we have this one in late September. And we also, you know, I just got back about a month ago from La Quinta. We went out, all of us, for a, a kind of a convocation. So I've been getting together a lot with the priests. And a long time ago, they asked me, I've spoken at Chrism Day a couple times, and now this one. Uh, they asked me to share uh, what I've been doing on the nuns, you know, the, the unaffiliated. So I brought in my PowerPoint and I did two presentations. So the day began with the archbishop giving a report, a kind of update. And then uh, I had two sessions and with a little time for Q&A, not a lot, but it was a good crowd. I mean, the priests really come for those. There were probably, I don't know, six, 700 people in the room and um, all priests. So all interested in pastoral things. And, you know, I've said, look, after the sex abuse scandal, this is problem uh, one in the church. So um, there was, I think, a lot of interest in it. You know, we talk about this problem of the nuns usually on a very broad, abstract level, but these priests are on the ground in parishes working with actual families. Was there sense that this problem is just as urgent on the ground level as it is sort of in the general broad national level? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I also heard from some priests when I laid out the statistics, some of them were, were shocked at the statistics, you know, especially that famous for every one that joins us, 6.5 now or whatever are leaving. Um, several people, some of the priests told me they they did presentations to their own staffs based on my talk and how their staffs were flabbergasted when they saw the statistics. And uh, I used your line, Brandon, I quoted you to say, you know, that we're hemorrhaging young people in the church. And that's a way of summing up the problem we're facing. But, you know, these guys, they're, they're interested in finding solutions. So the second talk was all about here are nine things we can do to address this issue. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking about smartphones. I got my smartphone here. Bishop yeah. Barron's, I know, is not too far away from him. Uh, in particular, we're talking about smartphone addiction. This has become yeah. a very prominent topic in the culture. I think as many people have begun recognizing that for all the great, tremendous things our phones allow us to do, they're also dangerously addictive. Uh, Before we get into the discussion, let me tick off a few statistics here. So study from MIT found that students who were asked to give up their phones, college students, for just 24 hours, just a day, suffered from anxiety and confusion. Confusion, like I try to picture what that must have been like. Uh, Another study from the Journal of Computer Mediated Communication found that young people suffered from withdrawal uh, symptoms like increased blood pressure and heart rate when they were separated from their phones. Um, A few numbers here. Average person checks their phone 47 times a day. Average person uses their smartphone three hours per day, about half that time on social media like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. 40% of people check their phones on the toilet. 61% of people (laughs) sleep with their phones. And 75% of people reach for their phones when they wake up. Okay. So, Bishop, what do you make of all this, first of all? Oh, my gosh. Well, gosh, there's a lot we could say, Brandon. And, you know, I'll raise my hand. Guilty of, of, you know, many of these things. Um, But, you know, I remember distinctly, 
when I got my first cell phone. It was in the year 2005. So I was uh, 45 years old at that point. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 45. And I traveled a lot. I mean, I was always getting on airplanes. And, you know, if, if the ride wasn't there to meet you, you had to find a pay phone or something. <laughs> the young people don't even know what a pay phone is. Yeah, what is that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's this weird ancient contraption. But um, I didn't have one until I was 45. I, and I, you know, jetted around the world, did, did doctoral studies in Paris. I, I you know, I, I lived my life for all those years without a cell phone. I got it because I had arrived in Oakland, California to give a talk to all the priests. And I missed my ride. Like we we weren't coordinated right. He couldn't find me. I couldn't find him. And I was I was truly stranded. And I went looking through a, a phone book. Again, the young people don't know what that is, a phone book looking for the number of the archdiocese. I mean, it was so crazy. So when I finally got home from that trip, I said to this friend of mine who kind of they were still kind of novel, you know. I said, I maybe should get one of these cell phones, you know. So that's when it happened. Then, of course, this revolution, you know, the, the iPhone revolution happens. And, you know, so I graduated to this. And now it is true. I'll, I'll confess it. I'm dependent on this little machine in an extraordinary way. If you had told me in 2004, when I was 44 years old, that someday you're going to be so attached to your phone that that you're going to you're going to go through some kind of withdrawal if you lose it. I, I would have thought you were out of your mind. I would have said, "Oh, come on. You know, I've lived very successfully without it for 44 years." But it's like, you know, people that know how to make addictive foods. <laughs> the, the inventors of these machines and they were geniuses. Um, but they did know how to produce something that is indeed very addictive. As I can, I can't let go of it. See, I'm putting, <laughs> I'm putting it down. You know, I've read a, a lot of books over the last few years assessing the whole landscape of technology, particularly social media, Silicon Valley companies, and that fact really stuck out to me. That among the smartest people in our entire culture, you know, those with computer science backgrounds, technology degrees from the best institutions. Many of the smartest people are in Silicon Valley right now trying to figure out new ways to keep you more addicted to your devices and apps. It's like, so our pitiful wills are competing against the brightest minds in our culture. It feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. And of course, things are addictive because at some level, they're very good, right? They wouldn't be addictive unless there was something about them that was very good. And, and I'll say it, these are very good. These are wonderful machines. And just think in the course of the day, Brandon, uh, I use already, I've used this, the Waze app to get to where I was going. Um, when, I'm, when I'm traveling, it's my alarm clock. If I don't have the phone, I, I don't have a proper alarm clock. I use it for, I mean, email. I've checked email several times and, and just getting ready for our taping today. You know, you sent me things by email. I used it. When I woke up this morning, that's true. Not quite the first thing I did, but very shortly, I sat down with this phone to see, okay, did you know, any emergencies happen? Any important emails come in? And then I'll, you know, I glance at the news to see, okay, what's going on? And, and I almost force myself after that to say, okay, put it down. Just put the cord back in because now we got to go pray. And when I go to pray in my chapel, I make sure I don't have this with me. I, I keep it up in the room, you know, charging because I don't want it as a distraction. But so my point is, yeah, this is a is a great little device. And I've used it for like a, a compass. Sometimes really when I, I'm a little bit lost and where's North? Oh, there's North. I've used it to find out where the um, constellations are. 
you know, oh, that's that's the big dipper over there. You know, it, it reminds me again. This is going to date me, but um, when I was a little kid, Batman had his his utility belt. Remember? Do you remember that at all? Was that on reruns when you were growing I've up? I've seen it. Yeah, you know the campy Batman from the '60s, the TV right, show, right. and he has this utility belt. And it became this joke, like you know, whatever situation he was in, he he had the right you know solution. Well, these things are a bit like that, aren't they? Is it you know? So oh, it's dark. I can't see. Put my key in the door. Oh, put the light on from my phone. You know, what direction am I going in? Oh, let me check. Um, hey, who wrote um, you know this this symphony? I'll find out. So they, they are wonderful. They're good, and that's why they draw us in. We've talked a little already about some of the functionality that smartphones provide, like the ability to check email, maps, constellations, measuring. Um, how about the thing you mentioned last, which is the access to all the information the world has ever known? What, what are the implications of that? What does that mean that like anybody alive today can find anything they want to know within just a couple seconds on their phone? Is that good, bad? What ramifications does that have? I think it's both good and bad. And, you know, I, I say this as a, as a researcher, someone who's you know, written a lot of books and articles and, you know, the sheer agony of going to libraries and looking things up and, or you're, let's say you're writing a sermon and you say like, gosh, who said that, you know, or, or where is that in the Bible? Well, in the old days, I actually got my Bible off the shelf and I would kind of page through it and look for things. Now I'm working on a sermon. All I got to do is, oh, click on, you know, my search engine, put in this statement. Oh, oh there it is. You know, Romans 4, 57 or whatever it is. So it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But I, I do say this precisely as a researcher and someone interested in the life of the mind. There was something wonderful about the slowness of the old process that you were kind of compelled to look and to search and to wonder and to make connections that you wouldn't have made otherwise. So the speed is great. The accessibility. And it is, it's weird to say, isn't it, Brandon? But, you know, the, the entire Summa Theologiae of Thomas Aquinas, I, I can get it through this if I want it, right? Dante's Divine Comedy, I could find it on here. Uh, what's the quadratic formula? I could find out on this thing in seconds. You know, when is uh, when is Easter in the year 2027? I could find out in five seconds. So wonderful. But I wonder, does it does the speed uh, compromise us in a way, you know, that there's something beautiful about a, a Chesterton looking through old books? You know, uh, what would G.K. Chesterton think about a smartphone? I think it's an interesting question. I think he'd delight in them in a way, wouldn't he? Think of like a like a Ben Franklin, someone like that. I think would delight in these devices, but I suspect Chesterton too would would have some reservations. I think you're probably right. Now we, we could talk about all these different effects of the smartphone, but I want to stick with this theme of addiction for the rest of it because I, yeah. I know a lot of people, friends, family, myself, yourself. At times, we we recognize the addictive qualities of these tools, and I think what many people are realizing too is. These aren't just accidental features of the smartphone. They're, no. they're baked into it. I mean, this is what these devices and apps are designed to do. I know lots of uh, neuropsychologists have identified features in these apps, like Facebook's little red notification icon that is like a jackpot lever. Like you want to yeah. log in to see, hey, did I get another you know update yeah. or notification or whatever? I, I guess uh, as a bishop, as a spiritual teacher, I, I'd ask you this. Um, why do we care so much about 
this endless loop of feedback on these social media apps, likes, notifications, comments, what people are saying about me or the things I'm sharing. Why do we care so much about this? Because we need affirmation and that little beep or that little buzz or whatever it is that says, hey, oh, someone's paying attention to me. Someone is responding to me. That gives our ego a little boost. And uh, and that is, think of, you know, rats in a maze or something, and they give these little, you know, stimulations that make them do what the experimenter wants. In a way, that's what's going on is we get a little boop, a little stimulus. Oh, someone, you know, someone is reaching out to me. Uh, and that's understandable. And it's a little bit dangerous, too. And um, the the addictive thing, I mean, I get it when I'm going through like a, a Facebook feed. And you know, maybe you start by something came up and, and you start looking. And then you, you're just doing this looking and you think, what am I looking at here? <laughs> What is so interesting? And the answer is practically nothing. But it's just like a maybe there's something. Maybe there's something new. Maybe something fresh will appear. Um, so yeah, I, I've had to sometimes just almost like grab myself by the scruff of the neck and say, "Get away from this thing," um, and look up. <laughs> there's something about this thing. It, it's like the mark of our time, isn't it? That if it, when they do sculptures of, of people of our time, it'll be this. Do you find this, Brandon? Sometimes I'll find that even my hand will start falling asleep in a certain way. And I realize I've been holding that darn phone too long, <laughs> you know? Um, or I even find I, I might be at the end of the day, I'm watching a, a movie on TV. But, okay, I got kind of bored with that. So I pick up my phone and I'll start looking at something. I'm like, what am I doing? I, there's the movie, you know? <laughs> the movie is one step removed from reality. Now I'm two steps removed from reality. So I think all of that we got to be really wary of. Um, and and I think by a set of practices, make sure you get away from it. Do you know one thing? I just I just discovered this the other day. I didn't realize it's keeping track of you. Of course it is, of how much time you're spending yeah, on the it. Screen, a- Apple's got the screen time feature, which is really disheartening to look at. Sobering. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think, though, Brandon, turn it around. That's a good thing. If people were to say, let me let me check that. You know, how, boy, I've been on this darn thing way too much today. And maybe set some limits and say, look, I don't want to go beyond two hours or beyond an hour and a half or something. And maybe use that little feature and say, all right, too much, too much. And emergencies, okay, I get it. You know, an emergency, sure. But um, how about a book? How about a, a conversation? I know I'm, I'm rambling here a bit, but this is something Gene Twenge's book, you know, on the iGen reminded me of. How we learn as young people uh, social cues, and it's you know by looking at people and looking at their faces and seeing their reactions and seeing what involves them and what turns them off. But if I'm going through life like this, I, I'm not noticing that. Or you're in a, a doctor's waiting room, right? And um, every, now look, every single person, they're all like this. But in the old days, you know, maybe you'd see someone. Maybe, maybe some you knew someone. Hey, how how you doing? Oh, you're are you sick? And or, or, or how's your mom doing? You know, you you reacted and inter interacted in a very personal way. But now, this right, and and the minute I'm I'm addicted this way. The minute let's say a conversation ends, boom, I'm right back to this. So I, I think all of that is quite bad. Is is quite. Um, impersonal, and and we're we're like living in these little isolated spaces 
dictated to by these machines. And I think all that is really regrettable. Well, this smartphone phenomenon is new, but addiction and attachment is ageless. It's not new at all. And the Catholic tradition offers a lot of help in response. A lot of our greatest spiritual masters have thought deeply about unhealthy attachments. And so for the rest of this episode, I I want you to maybe share some of the insights from our our great spiritual minds on what they would think about this smartphone addiction and, and more importantly, how to help us manage it or break it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's start off with St. Augustine. If St. Augustine was time-traveled here to the 21st century and saw millions of people with necks craned down on their smartphones, sleep, uh, checking them first thing in the morning, last thing at night, what would he say and what advice would he offer? You know, again, I think someone like Augustine would get it because Augustine had such a restless mind and wanted to know everything about everything. And I think he'd be fascinated by that. I think he'd love the fact that, hey, I can get access to all of Cicero on this thing. Are you kidding? You know, so I, I don't want to... Just, oh, these are just horrible things. I think Augustine would have said, wow, how, how wonderful. But at the same time, Augustine would have known about the restless heart. And he'd be worried that we were putting a lot of energy that should be going into a loving quest for God and service of neighbor into this thing. So I'm, I'm going to pour my spiritual energy that ought to be directed outward to God and outward to our neighbor into this machine. So I think that might be Augustine's uh, great caution. You know, you, you mentioned uh, how excited Augustine would be to have access to the common, to the writings of Cicero and his phone. It reminded me of the story you've often told about Aquinas and him saying, gosh, yeah. what, I, what I wouldn't give to have access to Chrysostom's commentary on Matthew or something like yeah. that, right? What, what oh, do you, Thomas, what do you, Thomas would have loved an iPhone in a way. Sure, I totally get that. If he said... He had all of Aristotle. Are you kidding? Available to him. Thomas had to rely on William of Morbecca, his friend, to do translations from Greek into Latin. And then there was a handful of these texts floating around the Christian world. Thomas you know, had some of them in his libraries. Oh, he would have, he would have died for the, the access that gives you to information. No question about it. Um, but, you know, he was an Augustinian, too, in his, in his deep conviction that we're wired for God. And see, if you're wired for God then this, this addictive stuff becomes a, a counter-wiring. It's as though another force has reached into the works and rewired you. And that's a deeply serious spiritual problem. Um, now, you know, the talk I gave at Google, remember, a couple of years ago, and I used Aquinas and Lonergan, one of his disciples, uh, the mind that wants to know everything about everything. The search, the search engine is a bit like the intellectus agens of Aquinas, the agent intellect, the the active intellect. So all of that, I think he would have appreciated. Thomas would have. How about somebody like St. Francis, you know, who's, who obviously emphasized simplicity of life so much? What, what would he say uh, amidst this smartphone revolution? Well, you know, maybe with Francis in mind, you think of, of how much time, energy, attention, and money goes into this new world, right? Uh, once you get this phone and I got to get a better one and built in obsolescence, I always felt, I've said this many times that the, the one thing Karl Marx got right, I think was that, that a capitalist political economy tends to produce products with built in obsolescence. I think that's true. You know, so these things, of course, and the latest, I just read about this, you know, these famous earbuds without the wires that I guess pretty soon that's all there's going to be, right? Because, oh, they're better. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but we're going to lose those like crazy. 
you know, I'll throw the earbuds with the wires in a suitcase and well, there they are. These little earbuds? Yeah, are you but, kidding? but then when that happens, you can buy more and they'll of make course. them very happy. Of course, it's built that the whole world, first of all, will need them and then we're all going to lose them. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's where Francis might come in is, gosh, the, this world is so all involving and, and the money that it generates um, as I'm holding this machine. <laughs> <laughs> down. Uh, so that's maybe would be Francis's concern. Well, we can hardly talk about attachments and addictions without thinking of St. John of the Cross, one of the greatest spiritual masters. I, I think he might in some ways be the patron saint that we need when it comes to this area. What do you think he would say? What advice well, would he offer? I'll tell you. I, know, I think I know exactly what he would say. When he would see all of us like this, and, and again, watch it. Everyone watching this, try this little experiment. Next time you're out in public, any place, any place. Like I was at the DMV last week. I had to get my driver's license renewed. You know, I'm at airports all the time. I'm here and there. What do you notice? Is I mean, it's it's one of the most ingenious moves within modern capitalism. The people that invented this because everybody has one. Name another product. Maybe it, I mean, maybe the telephone or television when they first got going. Um, Everybody has one of these, and and they're so precious to us. It's like it's Gollum, like yeah, <laughs> my precious. But it's true, isn't it? Like if if this were taken from me, I, I get that what you said earlier that people would go into a kind of withdrawal. Well, you know what John the Cross would do? Give that to me. Give that to me, and he'd put it away somewhere <laughs> because you are way too obsessed with that stupid thing, and I want you praying. I want you reading. I want you caring for people. I want you involving in life. You're, you're way too involved. Take it away. And I think that's not bad advice. Um, how about uh, get someone that, that you love and, and you say, look, I know I'm addicted to this thing. And so uh, I, I need you to control me a bit here. Take it away from me. <laughs> Maybe I'll say, hey, you know, I'm not going to use it in the morning or I, and after dinner, I'm not going to use it. Or one thing I think, Brandon, every single family when you sit down for dinner, these things should just be put, have the kids put them in a box or something. They should just not be around. It drives me crazy when you're at a restaurant and you see it, right? There's three people at a table and they're all independently on their little stupid machine. Yeah, it breaks my heart. It's crazy. And and the kids, I know it now. Your kids are, are coming of age and when they reach their teenage years. And I know every teenager in the world, uh, you know, I don't want to talk to mom and dad. <laughs> I, I want to look at my machine, but uh, take them away, put them in a box, uh, do something drastic. That'd be John of the Cross. Okay. Final question. Maybe put on your spiritual director hat for this one. Uh, you're, you're working with somebody, they come to you, they say, Father, you know, I'm really struggling with this. I think it's affecting my spiritual life in bad ways. I'm not praying as much. Uh, what, what are some good examination of conscience type questions that you would use to help someone assess whether this, you know, is just a normal attachment or something that has sort of crossed the line? Yeah. Take a good hard look at that little um report that you have now of how much screen time take a good hard look at it maybe over the course of like a week and just tell yourself okay if this thing is reaching whatever that is like three hours or something like okay that's too much uh, take a look at that be real objective about it and then take concrete steps to reduce that say how about by next month i want to be down to two hours you know or then make one of these judgments like i'm not going to use it after dinner period and i'm not going to use it um or then do it more positively. I'm going to spend much more quality time with my wife, my husband, my kids, my friends, right? 
uh, I'm going to go out and do something. I'm going to go bowling rather than, you know, have my head bent over the stupid screen. Another, you know, Gene Twenge thing was that correlation between screen time and depression. I found that very telling. And that she said it's pretty clear correlation. The more screen time you spend, the more depressed you are. And I don't think that's puzzling, really. Uh, screen time versus walk outside, breathe the air, look up at the mountains. I mean, go for a bike ride, talk to a friend. I think all of those are better options. And again, please don't don't mistake me. I, I don't gainsay anything I said positively about these things. They're great. They're great. They are. And, and, and they're, they're worth using. But they are addictive. And I would take some concrete steps to get past it. If listeners are looking for a good book, uh, Cal Newport's book titled Digital Minimalism, one of the best I read. I, I, I highly recommend okay, it. Uh, it's got a ton of practical tips. For example, yeah. if social media is your addiction, he recommends deleting all the apps and only using the web browser on your phone to check it, which is a lot clunkier and harder. And so you yeah, don't get okay. sucked in. Uh, he's got a lot more That's practical good. tips like that. So check that out. Cal Newport's book, good. Digital yeah. Minimalism. Okay, now it's time for one of our questions from our listeners. If you have one that you'd like to ask Bishop, Bishop Barron, visit askbishopbarron.com. You can record your question on any device. Today, we hear from someone in Bishop Barron's own state of California. Her ah. name is Kristen, and she's got a question about the saints in heaven. Here's Kristen. Hi, Bishop Barron. My name is Kristen from California. My question is about whether the saints feel emotions. We know to be in heaven is to experience eternal happiness. We also believe saints intercede for us. So if someone dies and goes to heaven, then sees a loved one on earth in despair or struggling with sin, do you think the saint has feelings as we understand them? Thank you. Hmm. No, thanks for that. Uh, questions about heaven are always very speculative, you know, because the great biblical warrant is uh, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, what God's prepared for those who love him. So we, we don't really know what that blessed state will be like. Can we say in its definitive form? So, you know, we can speak of a kind of interim time, let's say the soul uh, apart from the body waiting for the general resurrection. But let's say heaven in, in the full sense. Is it an embodied state? Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't give up on his creation. He didn't say, I made a mistake by sticking these angels in these funny animal bodies, and so I want to get rid of those animal bodies. No, God made us as we are, and he, he wanted us to give him glory that way. And in heaven, we will, both in soul and body, right? So emotions belong, you say, both to soul and body. There's something soulful about an emotion because you have to have taken something in, understood it, desired it, feared it, whatever. But then emotions always register and to some degree are produced by the body. Remember, as William James said, I've always found this intriguing. It's not that I feel sad, therefore I cry. Rather, I cry and therefore I feel sad. That The, the body signals to the soul, if you want, what it's feeling. Okay. My point there is, I think, yes, if heaven is a truly embodied state, we'd have emotions. Now, you're pointing to an interesting sort of anomaly. Is there an embodied heavenly state that is not um, with everyone else in definitive salvation? So now looking, as it were, at those who are still in the earthly struggle. And we could argue that. It's, it's hard to adjudicate that question. Um, 
in the general resurrection, when everyone has, you know, reached their final destination, so to speak, there we wouldn't be feeling this sort of, you know, anguish and longing for someone still on earth. You know, bottom line, what we mean by emotion, which is a kind of, um, it's a corollary of love. That's what you're driving at. If, if you feel, gosh, there's someone that I love who's in pain. I would say, yeah, the saints feel that. Um, if they look at us and we're wandering from God, they would participate in God's desire to set things right. So to that extent, I'd say, yes, they feel the kind of emotion you're talking about. Well, thanks for the question, Kristen. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode. A couple things. Uh, first of all, if you like this show, maybe you've been listening for a year, maybe you've been quietly listening in your car while you're working out. If you've been listening and you like it, please leave a review. It takes just a few seconds. It costs no money, of course. It's free to do, but it makes a huge difference to the show because the more reviews we get, the more often these podcasting services promote it to other people. So leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service. Also, we're in the midst right now of revamping and significantly improving the quality of our production of both the YouTube videos Bishop Barron makes and this show. Uh, we're talking about raising it to broadcast level quality. We're working on designing new sets, new cameras, new lights, all that stuff. But to make it happen, we need your help, which is why we now have a Patreon account. You can find it at wordonfireshow.com slash patron. When you donate to that account, you help make these improvements happen. So again, if you've liked the show, if you've listened to it, signal your support by joining us at wordonfire show.com slash patron. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Word on Fire show. Thank you.